Good morning, everybody. How are you? It is Palm Sunday. How many of you know what Palm Sunday is? Let me see your hands. Okay, if you don't know what Palm Sunday is, today is your day, right? You're going to find out a little bit about it. Um, and next Sunday, this begins Holy Week, and next Sunday is Easter. How many of you are excited about Easter? Yeah. That is tepid. This is like the Super Bowl of church. How many of you are excited about Easter? Come on. And it has nothing to do with being the Super Bowl of church. It has to do with we remember with churches all across the world that the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. Amen? So this week, I hope you'll take advantage of uh, our Holy Week schedule. Um, there's no Wednesday night activities uh, because we want you to make your plans to be here for our Good Friday service this Friday at 7 p.m. There's child care provided for um, up through preschool. Everyone else is welcome in here. It's a worship service. Uh, there'll be some teaching, but also we're going to partake of Holy Communion together, and it's going to be absolutely fantastic, and I hope uh, you'll be here as well. If you have an elementary school-aged uh, child, they'll be in here with us. They'll have an activity pack, uh, packet for them that goes along with the worship service, so I hope you'll bring them as well. Next Sunday, Easter Sunday, we'll have three services, 7 a.m., our sunrise service at the ball field, so I hope you'll be a part of that if you'd like, um, and then 945 and 1115 here in the worship center. And uh, as you leave today, um, our uh, guest team will hand you one of these, uh, as many as you need, but these are invite cards for Easter. Uh, you can hand them out like this, or if you've got friends that don't want to take anything paper and they say, I don't want to take anything, just turn it around and tell them to scan the QR code, okay? They can get all the information. This is really easy for you to be able to invite your friends to Easter service. This is the Sunday that people, surveys, they tell us that they are more likely to say yes to come to church on Easter Sunday than any other Sunday in the year. And by the way, if you say, well, I don't know if I have anybody, 82% of people say that they will come if invited by someone to church. And the average Christian, and I think you're above average, but let's just go with average, okay? The average Christian has seven unchurched friends. So that means 82% means five to six of them have said, if you will ask them, they will come. So if you're having difficulty trying to figure out who that is, why don't you pray and ask the Holy Spirit, and he'll reveal the person that you're supposed to invite and be a part of our services next week. So it's going to be an exciting thing. Today is Palm Sunday, and so it begins Holy Week. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. We're going to look at the first 11 verses. The title of the message is very simply, Lord, Save Us, and it's literally one of the um, one of the translations or the meaning of the word Hosanna that you're going to see in this. Lord, save us, or the Lord is our salvation. So if it's in past tense, it's the Lord is our salvation. If it's in present tense, it is Lord, save us. This is what the people are crying out to Jesus at this moment. So when this passage takes place, Jesus is on top of the Mount of Olives, which is on the eastern side of Jerusalem. He's coming down the Mount of Olives. He's going to go through the Kidron Valley. He's going to go back up towards Jerusalem, and he's going to enter through the gate that was at that time open. It is closed now, the Eastern Gate. So this is what's going on. This is the Sunday before Passover, the Sunday before Jesus will be crucified on that Friday, okay? So that's just to put in context of what we're talking about. So verse 1 says this, As they, Jesus and his disciples, approached Jerusalem, and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there, with her colt by her. 
untie them, bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. Now, if you stop reading there, you're probably thinking, why in the world does Jesus need a donkey? You go on and find out. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, the prophet being Zechariah. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle, riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches. John's gospel tells us that they cut particularly palm branches, which have very symbolic meaning here. They cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed, so it's surrounding him, shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Or what they're saying is, this is Jesus, the one we've been waiting for. Let's pray. Lord, in these next few moments, open our eyes and ears so that we may see and hear your word clearly today. I pray that you would anoint the word as it, go forth, as it goes forth today, anoint our ears to hear and our hearts to receive, so you may accomplish your perfect will in our lives, and we'll give you the praise for it as you do, in Christ's holy name. Amen. I don't know if you've ever been involved in one of those moments in life where you experience something and you don't realize how, um, what a momentous occasion it is. You are involved in something and you don't realize at the time that that has historical implications. Maybe you meet someone who will later become a famous leader and at the time they're not a leader. In 1832, there was a young man, 23. He was running for a very, very small office, an office of a district, one of the districts of the state legislature in the state of Illinois in a rural community. There's hardly anybody in this community. And he begins to campaign and he begins to talk to the people in his town, but also the people in his district. He's very well-spoken, but no one really thinks much of his leadership. And so he doesn't win the office. He doesn't make it to be state legislator. As a matter of fact, there are 13 candidates. He finishes eighth. That's underwhelming at best, right? So there's nothing spectacular about what's going to happen there. But the people who are listening to him that day and listening to his vision and listening to the way he believes that government ought to be, they have no idea of the implications that are taking place right there. They have no idea that that man is a young man named Abraham Lincoln. They have no idea that 28 later he will be elected as the 16th president of the United States. They have no idea that he will lead this country through the Civil War. They have no idea that he will be the driving force to end slavery in this country. They have no idea that history is being made right before their eyes. Because so many times we go through life and we observe things and we participate in things in such a casual way and in a way where we interpret them through our own lens and our own, our own ideas of what should be and what shouldn't be and our own personal opinions that we miss sometimes the historical implications. The crowd that is here is observing Jesus. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. 
and they do not perceive the historical and the spiritual and the prophetic implications that are taking place in this moment. They have no idea that God is allowing them to participate in prophecy. They have no idea that God is allowing them through his Holy Spirit and their being there at that time to literally usher in the kingdom of God and righteousness into the city of David and to the temple of God. They have no idea. They play a role. They play a part. But they don't understand everything that's going on. There's a couple of things I want you to see here. The first is this. Is Palm Sunday is so important because this is when Jesus reveals himself to everyone as Messiah. Up until this point, Jesus will heal the sick, he'll cast out demons, he'll perform miracles. Time after time after time, he will tell people, go your way and don't tell anyone. Cast the demon out, go, don't tell anyone. Cleanses a leper and heals him. Go and show yourself to the high priest, give glory to God but don't tell him about me. Why? Why would Jesus say, don't tell him? I mean, shouldn't we tell everybody about Jesus? Because his time wasn't right. Jesus told his mother at his very first miracle, when she asked him, he says, this, my time has not yet come. It's not right for me to be revealed at this moment in time as the Messiah. This is not the moment that we're waiting for at this time. You see, over and over again, the Bible says that when he performs a miracle, there are two occasions at least that we have record of where it tells us that they wish to take Jesus after this miracle and they wish to by force elevate him to be the king of the Jews. And Jesus walks away from them. Why? Because it's not his time. It's not the moment that the Father has declared is the right time for Jesus to be revealed. But Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday, the time has come the Bible says that prior to this, he will not be deterred. He has set his face like a flint towards Jerusalem. He is rock solid in his commitment. It is time the Father has revealed it to me. It is now time that we go and I do what I came here to do. And so he is to be revealed. He does this very intentional. Nothing is by happenstance at this moment in time. He comes over the Mount of Olives. He comes up from Jericho over the Mount of Olives. And you say, why is that important? Because Messiah, when they expected him, was going to descend from the Mount of Olives. As he comes down, he, he literally sins for knowing there is a donkey there. The Holy Spirit's revealed him. And you think, well, why would he send for that? Why does he send his disciples? Because he knows that hundreds of years prior to this, one of the reasons that the prophetic implications was that Zechariah had prophesied that the Son of God was going to come, the Messiah was going to come, riding in on a donkey in humility. Zechariah 9.9 says this, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus chooses this because he, he, at this moment in time, he wants everyone to see. There's no doubt. I'm not leaving any doubt. There's no um, uh, ambiguity about this. I'm coming in to celebrate and to show you I am what you've been waiting for. I'm the son of God. I'm the Messiah. There is another prophetic implication that is taking place, and that is Psalm 118. Psalm 118, 26 says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. Now, this psalm is two things. This psalm is a prophecy about the Messiah, 
And this song is also one of, the, uh, one of the great songs that will be sung as they go up to Jerusalem. This is one of the songs they would sing on their way to Jerusalem. And so while they're singing this, they're naturally singing this, now they're singing it as Jesus is coming in, riding on a donkey, fulfilling Zechariah 9, but also as they sing this praise to him, they don't even realize that prophecy is being fulfilled right now as they sing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This, this place is filled with people. They are fully involved in what is going on, and they have no idea of the prophetic implications that God is allowing them to be a part of at that moment in time. They're literally revealing to the people of Jerusalem that Messiah is finally here. But they don't realize it. Because if they would have realized it, five days later, they wouldn't have yelled, crucify him. So before you say, how can you miss such implications? How many times are our eyes closed and our ears closed because of personal circumstances or personal preferences or views of opinion that we want to see accomplished in our world? We miss the thing that God is trying to do to usher in the kingdom of righteousness. How many times has that happened to us? So, It's the first time that Jesus will reveal himself. Now, the second thing I want you to see is this, is Jesus gave people an obvious choice that many could not see. So it's a clear and obvious choice he sets up for them, but so many people can't see it at this moment in time. There's two things that I want you to see in this. Two things that you need to understand. So as Jesus is coming in over the Mount of Olives, up, the, uh, uh, up to, towards Jerusalem in the eastern gate on the same day, approximately at the same time, there is another parade that is going on. It is on the complete other side of Jerusalem on the western gate. It is of the cruel ruler Pontius Pilate. He's coming into town because it's the Sunday prior to Passover, and most of the most of the rebellions begin during some of their feast time. So he's coming in with thousands of troops, with a sword on his side, riding a war horse, ready to put down any rebellion. And the two pictures could not be more opposite. A man that desires power and will do anything to stay in power, coming in to put down any revolt, any uprising against God's people, to a man who holds all power in the palm of his hand, riding in in humility on something that is a beast of burden, ready to carry the weight of the sins of the world. There cannot be a greater disparity of the picture of what is going on there. And people can't see it. Jesus, after this is over with, when he comes into the city, the Bible tells us that he will go into the temple and he will cause a major disruption. And the major disruption is that he begins to turn tables over in the temple. There are two reasons for this. He goes into the temple and he finds that they are literally, they are conning the people out of their money. They're doing two things. It was required that you were to bring a sacrifice. But many people would make the journey, and it was just too hard on the animal. And so they, in a purity, in, in a, a pure motive to begin with, years prior to this, they would make available unblemished lambs that you could buy when you got there so you didn't have to bring them from home. 
but those who chose to bring them from home would have to go through inspection to make sure you weren't giving God something that was unworthy of him. It had to be one without spot, without blemish. And so what it had developed was there was a system between the chief priests and the elders, and they would inspect people's lambs, inspect their sacrifices, and they would oftentimes find so many things wrong with them that were really unblemished and use and used that to send them over to someone who would charge exorbitant rates for now an unblemished lamb, and they would split the profits. The second thing they were doing is they refused to take For the temple tax, there was a requirement of the temple tax that you brought up to the house of God. They refused to take Roman coinage. They didn't want Roman dollars. They would only take temple dollars, and so they would bring Roman dollars and exchange them right there for temple tax dollars, for the money that was served for the temple. And they would charge an exorbitant exchange rate that would literally take advantage of the people. So this, this is the picture. Jesus goes in. And he sees all of this, and he begins to overturn the tables, causes a ruckus among everyone, and he says, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, not a den of robbers. And he gets all of their attention, even gets the high priest's attention that notices it. And the high priest is in the temple that day for one reason. On that same day, the high priest is in the temple because everyone had to bring a sacrifice for their sins. And to, the, and to the Lord. The high priest, though, was picking out a lamb that would symbolize everyone. He was picking a lamb out that would be sacrificed on behalf of all the people for the Passover. As he remembers this, that the blood of this lamb that he's going to do delivered the people out of bondage. He doesn't realize at that moment the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world is walking into the temple as he is trying to select the right lamb. The true lamb walks in. These are so obvious at that moment, and yet they missed them. And the question is this. I can look back on this, and I can read this, because I have the knowledge that the Bible gives me. I'm reading it in past tense. The question is, if we were there, could we have seen those things? Because I wonder sometimes, how many times do I miss what God's doing? Do we miss what God wants to do to usher in the kingdom of God and righteousness in our lives in our homes, in our families, in our communities, in our nation, and in our world because we are blinded by other things. See, the people had no idea they were fulfilling prophecy that day. They have no idea that they're fulfilling prophecy as they welcome Jesus. In John chapter 12, verse 16, this is what it says, talking about his disciples and the same event, John says, and John's one of his closest disciples, He says, at first, his disciples did not even realize and understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and these things had to be done to him. One of his closest disciples and followers doesn't even realize the spiritual, the prophetic implications that is taking place. Now, what are the people doing? They're doing two things. 
They follow the leading of the disciples who place their outer coats, their cloaks, on the donkey. And they take their outer coats and they lay them on the ground in front of the donkey as he comes into Jerusalem. Now, this was not, this was not done often, but it was not unheard of. But this was done for kings and rulers. This was done when they returned home from a victorious war. Or this was done when they conquered a city and the city would come out and welcome them as their new ruler. So it wasn't just an act of honor. This was an act of submission, saying, you now rule over me. They're laying down their cloaks, but they don't realize the implications of this. They don't understand that it's by this and this way that we have to yield our lives in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is an act of submission. They're waving palm branches. And you think, okay, what's so special about a palm branch? To the people in Jerusalem and Israel, this meant everything. Palm branches were what they used in one of their main feasts, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. They would use these to remember and build shelters and wave them before the Lord to remember that God had brought them out of slavery in Egypt and allowed them to live in tents and tabernacles and booths along the way and brought them into the promised land. They have no idea the spiritual implications that they're doing right here because in these two acts, what they're doing is symbolizing what is necessary for us to have Jesus become and be the leader and Lord of our lives. They have no idea they are literally fulfilling prophecy and at the same time, they're missing the purpose of Jesus because they weren't looking for a savior to rid them from their sin. They were looking for a savior to rid them from the cruelty and the oversight of Rome. In their minds, they said, if we could just get a new political or religious leader in this place, things would be better. They wanted Jesus to change the leadership. They wanted him to believe that if they changed all of that, things would be great. But Jesus knew that the answer was not political and social change. The answer was sin. He came to solve a sin problem in our lives. And it's not the sin in somebody else's life, and it's not the things that we disagree with with other people that he came to change. He came to change the sin that is lurking and does lurk at your heart and my heart every single day if we're not careful. He came to deliver us. And they're saying, Lord, save us. Save us from all the external circumstances that we see out there. And Jesus says, I'm come to save you, but I'm saving you from something you cannot even realize. And that is the sin that is filling your heart. They have no idea. They're literally ushering in the kingdom of God by declaring with their mouths, this is the Lord and Messiah we've been waiting on. They have no idea that when they lay down their cloaks, they're doing exactly what we have to do in order to receive Jesus. You see, when you laid down your cloak back then, it was saying, this is not my agenda. This is not what I want. I'm submitting to the rulership of this person. It's the same thing that Jesus will do in the Garden of Gethsemane. When the Bible says he is anguished and so burdened that he will literally sweat drops of blood because of the pressure of the upcoming crucifixion. He says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. To lay down your cloak is to lay down your agenda and say, not my will, but your will be done. How many of you have ever prayed, and when you thought about the prayer, what you were asking God to do was, Lord, let my will be done. 
No one's ever prayed like that before? No one? Because that's our tendency. I got it all figured out, Lord. I've got it all figured out in my life. I've got it all figured out in in my finances. I've got it all figured out in my family. I've got it all figured out in my country, in my city, in the world. I know what the problem is. Now, therefore, do this, Lord. Right? Man, it's tough to take off that cloak that you have draped yourself with and convinced yourself of and say, not my will but yours be done. I may not understand it right now, Lord. I may not even like it. But your will be done. That's Palm Sunday. It is a moment of celebration because you recognize the lordship of Jesus Christ and you yield. Jesus didn't come to prove your way of thinking right. He came to cleanse your heart and make you holy so you could stand in the presence of our Heavenly Father. That's why Romans 10, 9 says that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Yes, we have to confess it with our mouths, but listen, if you really believe that Jesus has risen from the dead, it ought to change everything in your life. If death has no hold on him, and he holds the keys to death, hell, and the grave, then there is no authority that sits beside him or is above him, including me, and everything bows at the feet of Jesus. And so I am assured that when I submit myself to his lordship, that his kingdom and righteousness is good for me and good for my circumstances. I also know that even when I don't understand what he's doing, God is bringing to fruition everything that needs to be done in my life and in this world to bring the righteousness of God and the salvation of Jesus into this world. But man, it's hard to yield an agenda to Jesus, isn't it? Because, I mean, you know, I like my agenda. I'm a little suspect of everybody else's, but I like mine, right? That's so hard. I believe most people, and a lot of Christians, are probably not aware that you are created and placed right here, right now, at this moment in history, for God's purpose. Can I just tell you something? I know things look bad. I know things look bad in the world. I know that there are wars and rumors of wars. I know that there are morality issues, and you ought to stand up for morality, and you ought to stand up for what is right. But can I just tell you something? There's a difference between standing up for what is right and constantly complaining about what is wrong. Listen to me. Stop complaining that you have to live in this time right now. God chose you, empowered you, gifted you, and anointed you to live in this time, to be his voice, and to usher in the kingdom of righteousness in this moment in time in a dark world. Because he trusts you. So, when you yield your agenda, you lay down your cloak. Can I tell you when you share your testimony? Literally, your feast of booths. We're like in the 
Old Testament, they remembered that God brought his people out of the slavery of Egypt into the promised land. When you share your testimony, you wave your palm branch and remember, God brought me out of the sin and the darkness and the bondage of sin. That's what I used to be. And he has saved me and he is taking me right now into a place where I will always be with him. When you do those things, you literally usher the kingdom of righteousness. And when you do that, just like the people in Jerusalem, they will respond and say, who is this you are talking about? And you can say, it is Jesus, the one who changes everything and the one we've been waiting for and the one that you need. This is how you participate in Palm Sunday every single day. Lay down the cloak of your agenda. Wave the palm branch of your testimony and watch God and watch people cry out. As you say, Lord, he's my salvation, turns into for them, Lord, save us and watch their lives change. God has given you that privilege and he's given you those gifts and empowered you for this time. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? If you're in this place right now and all of this sounds kind of foreign to you, so I, I don't know about any of this. The greatest miracle that can happen to you right now is that you find this king of righteousness, Jesus, who is available to you at any moment in time. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You simply need to pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are the true son of God. You are the Messiah we have been waiting for. You are the savior that I have longed for even if I didn't even know I needed you. Thank you that you have revealed yourself to me. And so I yield to your lordship. Ask you to save my life. Forgive me of my sins and my past. But I yield to you. You're the leader. You're the Lord. And I will do what you say, what your word, the Holy Bible says, and what the Holy Spirit tells me to do. Guide me in your ways. If everyone in the room would just pray this little prayer profession and just say, Jesus, I give you my life. One more time. Jesus, I give you my life. Now, with your head bowed, heads bowed and your eyes closed, if that's you, you know when you came in here this morning, things weren't right between you and the Lord. You say, I'm making a decision to follow him for the first time or the first time in a long time. If that's you, I'm not here to embarrass you. I do want to pray for you this week. I just want you to be bold. Would you raise your hand really high for me just for a moment? Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Keep them up just a moment, please. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're making the best decision, not only of your life, of your eternity. All of heaven is rejoicing right now. Amen. Amen. All right, you can put them down. Father, we thank you right now for the response to your grace that has been poured out on us and available to us because of what Jesus has done. Because of your great love and your great plan, Lord, we now stand before you. Not as, not as sinners, not as outcasts, 
but as children of God, sons and daughters of the King of righteousness. And so we thank you for that. I give you praise for what you're going to do in our lives. I thank you as the weight of sin is lifted off their shoulders and the joy of the Lord invades their heart, Lord. And they leave this place with purpose and destiny now. I thank you for what they're going to do. And Lord, I give you praise for all that you will do, not only in the immediate time, but in the future and the destiny of their lives. In Christ's name, amen and amen. You should have received one of these cards when you came in. It's blank. Um, will you take that card out, please? For lack of a better word, this, this today is your palm branch. This is your testimony. And what I want you to do is take this. There should be a pen in front of you somewhere. And I want you to take this. Don't put your name on it. It's not about your name. I want you to write who or what you used to be and who you are now. So where has God brought you from to where you are now? So it could be, I used to be a liar. And now God has made me a person of integrity and honesty. I used to be unfaithful, and now I'm faithful to God, faithful to my friends, faithful to my family. God's just completely turned my life around. What is it in your life? Don't write your name, but write the truth. And as you do that, I want you to write those. This is, and as you do that, this is your elevator speech. When someone asks you, and you need to share your testimony with them, this is it. This is who I used to be, and this is who I am now. You're not going to take these with you this morning. I want you to write these down, and then I want you to bring them, and you can lay them face down right here. No names, no anything. Just be honest, because I want you, by this act of faith, to say, Lord, I'm willing to submit my testimony for you to use for your glory. And as I lay it here, I pledge to you, I'm going to share it as you open the door with other people. I literally wave my palm branch, my testimony before you today. It's going to be a moment of contemplation. Take your time, do this. And then I want you to bring them, set them up here. And in just a few moments, Pastor Lance is going to lead us in a worship song before we dismiss. Who has God made you? Where has he brought you from? And when you bring it forward to say, my testimony belongs to you for you to use for your glory.
stand with me today? Story after story, telling of the different ways that God has changed our lives. But they all tell of his great love for us. So in response to that love, we lift our voices one more time to him. We sing, how great, how great, how great, how great is your love. Last week and this past Wednesday night, if you were here on Wednesday, I challenged you. Somebody is your mission field. And if you don't know who that is, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that. There's a person that's your mission field that God is counting on you to share your testimony with, to invite the church to see the life-changing power of Jesus Christ coming into their hearts. That's your mission field, but this is your testimony. And I want you to hear me. For some of you, it might have been painful to write, but it's also very powerful because don't ever be ashamed of this because this might be your past. You might have written what you used to be. Don't ever be ashamed of that because not only are you forgiven, not only are you transformed, God redeems that, purchases that, and now uses it for his glory. What the devil meant for evil, the God will use for good now. What used to be vile is now holy to the Lord. So I want to pray right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, these represent what you have done. Every story in the collection of these stories represents the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to change lives, to change families, to change generations, Lord by taking someone who's heading down a wrong path and seeing repentance take place and putting them down the path of righteousness and seeing righteousness now being filled in their lives and also in their families, in their work environments. God, I pray that as we share these moments and we share these testimonies, as we wave our palm branches, Lord, and point people to you, we have no idea. We have no idea the role that we may be playing as we usher in the kingdom of righteousness into the world you've called us to live in. We have no idea the people that we will share these with. We have no idea if they'll be the next Billy Graham or the next Christine Kane or the next Martin Luther King Jr. or the next governor or senator or representative or president. We don't know the implications of the people that we will share this with, but you do, Lord, and you bring us in divine connection with them as we lay down our cloaks and our agendas, O oh Lord, and say, your will be done as we share our testimonies and wave our palm branches, Lord, as we usher in righteousness, Lord, 
Lord. Do what only you can do, O God. Our faithfulness will be that we will entrust our stories to you and allow you and the Holy Spirit to do the rest, God. We will do the hard work of prayer and intercession to go before us, O Lord, to the people you've called us to share Christ with. We will share these testimonies in faith, and we will watch in wonder and in celebration as dozens and hundreds come to know you as Lord and Savior of their lives, O Lord. And I thank you today that there's a celebration that is taking place, not only for what's happened here today, O Lord, but by faith we are celebrating with a great cloud of witnesses all the things that you are going to do as you empower and in you employ the power of our testimonies. And so, Lord, we give you praise today for all these things you're going to do in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Come on, give the Lord praise. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you want to get ahead of the game, let's celebrate eight people who gave their hearts to Jesus today. Let's pray. Come on. Come on. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You have moved from Lord save us to the Lord is my salvation. And we celebrate with you. If you made that decision today or in the last few weeks, man, we would love to help you get started on this path of following Jesus. As soon as we dismiss, there's some folks that will be right down here, part of our grow team, that will help you. Or if you just want to find out some more information about Mount Perrin North, how to get involved, or just information about our church, we'd love to answer any questions that you might have in the process as well. Don't forget this week, Good Friday service at 7 p.m. Would love to see you a part of that. And then next Sunday, our Easter service is 7 a.m. at the ball field for sunrise, 945 and 1115 right in here. And I'm praying and believing that it's not just a number of people, that it's your family, your friends, your loved ones, your coworkers that are coming to Christ next week. Amen? Yes. Amen. Let me bless you before you go. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Let's give our response from Psalm 19. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. God bless you, folks. Love you. Have a great week.